The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if it's one of your other favorite places to check out podcasts, it is always a pleasure to hang out with you all and talk about what is going on in the world of sports. It is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And you know what, Kelsey? Uh, it's the weekend. It's Super Bowl weekend. We got a big uh, the big game coming up here, and I, for one, am excited, and we got a pretty fun show here today, too. Yeah, it is the Super Week. Uh, we, you know, we kind of led into this one with our tier Tuesdays. Uh, if you guys missed that, go check that out over on YouTube. Um, we, uh, we talked to Super Bowl MVPs. I don't know who's going to get it this year, but we might talk about it a little bit. And honestly, I can't wait. I know a lot of people are upset about the game. It's, you know, not the game anybody wanted, whether it be because of the 49ers or the Chiefs and just getting tired of both. Who cares? It's going to be a fun game anyways. It's always a Super Bowl. At the very least, we'll all get commercials to enjoy. Absolutely. There's going to be some very fun commercials as well. And I am fortunate enough that my work will actually be having a few commercials in there too for my day job as well. So that'll be something to look forward to as well. And you know, we also got a fun interview coming up in the main event right now, which we look forward to getting into. But for now, we'll go and start off with Kelsey's third favorite part of every show. That is the tip off. The tip off, of course, brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Use code BellyUpSports for $20 off your first set of tickets, whether it's concerts, sporting events, or anything that you get tickets to. Be, definitely go be sure to jump on that and get $20 off your first set. And you know what, guys? We already mentioned it. we'll get right into it. Super Bowl is right around the corner. 49ers taking on the Chiefs. Deja vu from four years ago. And for this one, we I think it's gonna be quite I think it's gonna be quite the fun uh, matchup overall. Not what we were looking forward to, as you mentioned, but for this one, I'll go ahead and start with you. What is one thing in this Super Bowl that stands out that you're really looking forward to? Whether it's like a matchup, a strategy thing, or what in this game is something that stands out to you that you're gonna be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I'm looking at coaching battle i'm looking at the offense for the 49ers i'm looking at the defense for the chiefs directly those two i I, look the other side of it is also a great matchup but let's be honest the real chess match here is what the chiefs offense offense can do and better yet what the or sorry what the chiefs defense can do and what the 49ers offense can do and look you look at the chiefs one of the highest blitz percentages in the league uh, and and successful blitz percentages in the league and that's huge. Can they get to, can they get to Brock Purdy? Can they knock him off his mark? We're talk, we've talked about this before. Our version of game manager is not the insulting version a lot of people have been talking about with Brock Purdy. We're talking about a guy who keeps him, his team on track. We're talking about a guy who makes the right reads. We're talking about a guy who, while may not win you every game, he's not going to go out there and lose you a game. Can you make him uncomfortable if you're the Chiefs defense? And then on the flip side of that, if you're the offense can you just keep doing what you're doing if you've been the 49ers? Your offense is fantastic. You're predicated by the run of Christian McCaffrey. Dude scored in all but two games this season, I believe. Something ridiculous like it's, that, yeah. I mean, there was a 14-week stretch where he scored a touchdown in every single game. Uh, that's insane. Uh, you're, you're, you're receiving quarter. Whether they're all fully healthy or not, they should be fully healthy, unless one of them got bit by a coyote. Um, they, they should be good. I mean, we're talking Brandon Ayuk, who's in line for a fantastic contract this offseason. Talking about George Kittle, one of the best tight ends in the game. Talking about Debo Samuel, one of the best guys to get the ball just in his hands and see what he can do. And then there's unsung guys on this offense as well. But I mean, let's also we got to call about talk about Juice Kyle Juszczyk. I mean, he's a fantastic piece, an underrated fullback. Uh, really, I don't even know if I can call him a fullback. He's really tight end adjacent. And then that offensive line led by Trent Williams, dude is a fine wine, getting better with age. Uh, it's kind of crazy. In a lot of ways, how he's he uh, got what got picked up by the Niners at 32, and ever since then he's been an All Pro. Uh, I mean, there's it's there's no other way to put it. The dude is a monster, and can he protect Brock Purdy? Can Brock Purdy stay on track? I mean, this the, the offense that, that that's that's where I'm going to look for the 49ers offense versus the Chiefs defense. It comes down to a chess game between the two coaches there on plays. So. That's interesting, and I, I'm glad you ended with Trent Williams. That's a perfect segue into what I was looking forward to go into because, as you just mentioned, Trent Williams has been the best left tackle for like th- three, four years since he got there, at, at, since he signed that monster deal. When Whoever's on Trent Williams, you're like, we're good. It could be Miles Garrett out there, and you're like, okay, Miles is going to win sometimes. But pretty much everyone else, you're like, okay, we're good. We'll take our chances at that point. So I'm going to actually twist mine to the interior of that offensive line, which I'm going to really focus because – They've been fine. Like everything's highlighted by Trent Williams, but the interior of the offensive line is not quite as strong. 
And you got Stone Cold Chris Jones on the other side coming forward as well, too, who's been wreaking havoc all season. Not only that, the Steve Spagnolo this year, now that he has corners that he likes on the outside, he's been in his bag, his friend's bag, his bag's bag's bag, pulling out some of these defensive blitzes we've seen throughout the year. The double mug from the linebackers like Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil. You see the the stunts with Carl Loftus and Chris Jones coming from outside to inside. Like Trent Williams will be fine. It's those three in the middle. I'm curious how they're going to handle this. And then piggybacking off of that, how does Brock Purdy handle it when Chris Jones is running a 40-yard dash at him? <laughs> right in space when he gets through, almost unblocked. Then, or when George Karlofta has, has that inside move after they double team Chris Jones and he comes twisting off of him like the old Texas stunt from the Friday Night Lights movie. Something along those as well, too. How are they going to handle that? Or when both those linebackers all game have been sitting the A gap and dropping out, then out of nowhere, Nick Bolton gets that full head start. We know how he likes to make plays in the Super Bowl, just going back 360 five days ago now, basically. Yeah. So, I, how is the interior offensive line going to handle that? Then on the defensive side, I'm going to go right to the defensive, the 49ers defensive line in itself. They are obviously very good with Nick Bosa, reigning defensive player of the year as of right now, but but we'll see if he's still defensive player of the year come the Super Bowl. But uh, they've been kind of getting gashed by the running game in the playoffs looking at it. Aaron Jones ran all over them. I think he had, what was it, a buck 40, something like that on the ground, a buck 30. The Lions combined had like 120, 130, something ridiculous like that, like Teams have been able to move the ball on the ground on them surprisingly. They get after the passers as well as anyone. Their pass defense is effective. They do a good job passing things off in the zones. They play simple but effective defense. But I'm a little, I'm wondering what they're going to do if I let – if Isaiah Pacheco gets going when he runs like he, he's angry at the ground, if he starts getting downhill with those 37-foot ladders per yard, I think they could be in a little bit of trouble because at that point you're going to have to roll safety down. And Travis Kelsey – we saw what he did last week against the the Ravens' entire defense. He's going to do the same thing to the 49ers if they can't roll coverage towards them, Rasheed Rice. So those are the things I'm looking forward to is the interior of the 49ers' offensive line and, coincidentally enough, the interior of their defensive line. They can handle and the edges, too, because you can't let Pacheco and his angry running style get on the edge. He's like, if you, the level 47 of Call of Duty Zombies from back in the day, how fast they would run that you could barely survive, that's pretty much what it looks like he's running sometimes when he gets the edge with how fast his feet are moving. And I think if they let him get going downhill, the game's it's not a wrap, but it's you're treading a lot farther uphill. You have to deal with Isaiah Pacheco and Patrick Mahomes. So that's where I'm looking for. That's the battle I'm looking for is how the interior defense offensive line of the 49ers handles the Chiefs and how their just their offense, their defensive line in general as a whole can keep Pacheco from getting downhill. And Fred Warren, Dre Greenlaw, Dre Greenlaw, excuse me, gets a mouthful, getting downhill without a freaking super tongue tie right there. But like, like he's going to have to tie up Isaiah Pacheco if they want to win this game. They got to get going downhill without sacrificing leaving number 87 wide open either. They got to find a way to find that healthy balance. Cause so that's the matchup I'm looking forward to, but we've kind of previewed those things now as well too, but with great previews comes great responsibility. And that's going to take us now into something we're predicting if you will, but not the predictions of the game. We're going to predict the betting line. So we're looking, there's a lot of interesting bets. The Super Bowls, especially on the betting apps, come with a lot of different props in them as well, too, across the board. There's some specific ones. There's some unique ones. There's some that are just depending on the match that they like more than others. So, Kelsey, what's your top prop for the Super Bowl weekend right now? Just so we're clear, we're talking not just normal props for a game, right? We can do some of the fun ancillary props. If you can bet on it for what the Super Bowl on Sunday, it counts. Whether it's something with the halftime show, the kickoff, the whatever it might be, if it's Super Bowl related, what is your top prop? Okay, so uh, I'm going with one of my favorite that I bet almost every Super Bowl. It's not anything crazy. This one's actually kind of unique. It doesn't really happen that often. Um, but I'm going with a Willoughby Scorigami. This one's actually relatively realistic uh, as far as, especially if you give these two offenses the opportunity, we could get a never-before-seen score. Uh, so if you guys don't know what scoreagami is, it is it describes an NFL game that ends with an original final score that hasn't happened in the league's history, and that's 15,790 total NFL games. And a distinct occur, a score has occurred only 1,084 times. So we're talking very small percentage, but... It's a fun one. Uh, so it's 6.5% of the chance. Last one was about 10 years ago. Um, no on that line is a minus 10,000 odds. So if you bet no, you're going to be like, maybe you owe a dollar. I don't even know anymore. Uh, maybe you get a penny back. But 
the yes line is plus 2500 So $8, get 25 bucks back. I'm going that way. Um, I've, I've never gotten this right, by the way. Uh, never on purpose gotten this one right. I got it back. The 10 years ago, I did bet on a square that was a scorigami, and it did work. But that was an accident. I didn't know what a scorigami was at the time. I've been so, chasing that tail since then. So me pressing one, one and one dollar now on the scorigami with those twenty five hundred odds, I will take my chance that we get an eleven to seven and a half or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, why not? Right? Exactly. I'm gonna. There's a lot of novelties we could. I could. We could dedicate the entire show to it and go over which ones we like, we don't like. But I'm gonna actually, with so many options, I'm gonna reel it into one of the simplest ones. I'm gonna look at touchdown scores and not just any time. I'm gonna look at the first touchdown score. I'm going to pick Travis Kelsey at plus 750 for the first touchdown score. The Chiefs in the playoffs have gotten off to rapidly quick starts. We saw it against the Ravens. They came out 17 to 17 out, out of the gate, then kind of just cruised the rest of the way. Bills, they came out hot, then had to come on late. We saw it against the Dolphins as well, too. That game, most of these games are over pretty quickly. They come when they're in those early parts of the game, whether they're scripted or not, they come out firing. And I think Travis Kelsey set up to have one heck of a game after what he did to a team in the Ravens that is built to stop him with Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith, and and Patrick Queen, and he had his best playoff game in years, arguably. And I'll t- he's been he's been on he's been playing his best football right now as well. I'm not going to get into the Taylor Swift factor that might might or may not play into it, but I just the 49ers, I don't know what they're going to do to stop him necessarily. They could Fred Warner's awesome, but if he's going to get by three first and second team All Pros last week in positions built to stop him. I, we'll see, and especially in those early parts of the game, we saw it last year. He scored the first touchdown for the Chiefs in the even against Tampa Bay. He had a fantastic game. He's he's going to come out early. He's going to come out swinging. The Chiefs are as well. I'm going to go and the 49ers. Look how slow they have started in the postseason. They were getting smacked around by Green Bay a little bit early. They were getting ramrodded by the Lions until they the Lions kind of Lions did there at the end. Thanks a lot, Kevin. But so I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey at plus 750 first touchdown score. It's not a lot less. So like bet one, get $7 back, but you bet five, you get 40 for something that seems very likely in the 49ers with, even if they get the ball first with how slow they've been starting, I wouldn't be surprised if they get the ball and end up having it's a Super Bowl. And I think we lost them there for a second, but yeah, it's a simple bet. It's a very, very easy one, but it can have a pretty, pretty solid payout. Or if you get a little bit gun shy, he's minus one ten for any time touchdown score. So that's still a pretty safe bet in itself. But I'm gonna go. We're gonna go a little greedy. We're gonna go a little super. We're gonna go for that first touchdown scoring bet. No, I don't blame you. Look, it is, it is it's one of the fun ones. Um, by the way, uh, I do want to point out. I know we're not affiliated with these guys. Okay, all right. I'm back now. I think I'm back now. Here we go. So I'm, I know we're not affiliated with these going on, and it's a free entry deal. You can bet for their prop bet challenge. So you just create a prop bet challenge. So in the, in the person who get, predicts the most correct can w- win a $58,000 grand prize. And who is that again? It kind of lagged out when you're saying who it was. Oh, sorry. That is BetMGM. So I know we're not affiliated with them, uh, but hey, shout out to BetMGM if they want to come sponsor the show. Um, but, but seriously, no, it is, uh, it, you know, there's all sorts of bets, everything you can bet on. This is one of the most bet on events in the world. So why not try to make a little bit of money and you don't have to pay anything to enter it. Absolutely. As well, too. So a lot of best look forward to. And now it comes from the moment of truth now as well to Super Bowl prediction time. We'll pick the winner. We can pick a score if you're feeling up to it and we'll pick an MVP. Kelsey, I'll let you lead the way. Which one of these teams are you uh, excited to win the Super Bowl? I don't know about excited. Um, maybe the proposal afterwards it could be fun. Um, we'll see if that that happens. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Anyways, um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the Chiefs. I feel like I let the cat out of the bag already with the proposal joke. But yeah, I'm going Chiefs. Maybe no, maybe no surprise here. Um, since I picked a score Gami, so that means I have to get a give you a unique unique score for this one. So I'm giving you the most unique score I can give you, which I'm gonna go 33 to 19. Fun fact about this, by the way, during the season, if you beat the 49ers after they scored more than 18 points, you lost your quarterback for the rest of the season in the next game. Happened to the Vikings, being the number, probably the most crucial one there. Um, and yeah, so interesting fact. I don't know if that apply going into next season, but it could be something that applies there. What the you know? but, but yeah, give me the Chiefs winning here, 33 to 19. All right. You know, interesting. All right. Let the Chiefs fans, if that happens, are going to be cursing you now. But 
for my fault. Blame TikTok. I, yeah, that's fair. We can always blame TikTok. I'm in the same vein as much as I don't really want to pick the Chiefs, but I don't really want to pick the 49ers. When I look at it with from a head perspective, it's I'm going to take the Chiefs. But every time you give them points, they seem to find a way to win. Like it's been that way the last two postseason games, and you're giving them two and a half right now. I think they're going to squeakly find a way to win. I don't know how. I, if if they lose, they're going to cover that two and a half. I can't really, I can't give you like a full. It's just like that weird head feel, like your head tells you this at this point. So I'm going to take the Chiefs. I'm going to go with something really close, like 26 to 28. I think it could be like a late field goal or like a missed PAT, then having to go for two that causes something silly and goofy. I'm going to take Travis Kelsey's Super Bowl MVP as well too, because when we look at the we look at the Patriots when they did their three out of four runs both times. It was the quarterback the first two times, then the leading pass catcher the the third time. And the Chiefs seem to be doing everything to mimic the Patriots as possible. And best quarterback, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame tight end, elite defense. They're copying them T for T at this point. Might as well keep the trend going. So, And you know what? The, the script is in. Travis Kelsey gets the Super Bowl MVP. We already know the script is already written. So we're gonna, I'm going to roll with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I kind of want to double back on our prop bets for a second. There is a prop bet for whether Travis Kelsey it wins the Super Bowl MVP. We lodge there's something like 1750 or 2500 um, on that. By the way, and there is also a prediction of afterwards where there'll be a proposal on the field from a player to their girlfriend. Book it now. Travis Kelsey wins the MVP, proposes Taylor Swift on the uh, after the game on camera. We have officially we have officially overstayed the Super Bowl welcome now as well too. So that's what we're looking at. Let us know down below what your predictions are for the Super Bowl as well. But that's gonna take us and do Kelsey's second favorite part of every show, and that's of course the main event. And you know what? For the main event today, we're doing something a little bit differently here. We're gonna actually talk a little bit of basketball, but not in the same way that we normally do. I got a chance to hang out with the NEO Spotlight founder TJ Petros to talk a little bit about basketball scouting. In, in Northeast Ohio at the high school and college level. So we're going to go ahead and let him explain to us a little bit about college basketball and the scouting process. Let's start things off with, tell us what NEO Spotlight is. Uh, so NEO Spotlight is uh, what's referred to as an NCAA scouting service. Uh, long story short, uh, college coaches from across the country, whether it's Division One, Division Two, you know, all the way down to the NAI level, are able to subscribe and more or less they're paying me to be out on the road. Uh, I am like an extension of their staff, so to speak. Uh, a lot of coaches at the scholarship level, they all have a calendar uh, in terms of when they're allowed to be out, when they're not allowed to be out. They have a certain amount of hours that they're able to you know, be on the road and log with recruits. Whereas me, I have no restrictions at all. Uh, so I'm able to cover as many games as I like, uh, as many as often as I would like to. Uh, so it serves as a, a pretty useful and resourceful tool for them uh, in helping them in the process of identifying potential recruits and, yeah, just kind of make their job easier uh, for when the spring and the summer when the majority of their recruiting takes place. Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. So that kind of piggybacks me onto the next question of, as the founder, what kind of gave you this idea? Did someone kind of approach you with an idea like this? Or was it just like the light bulb clicked and you're like, this is genius. And it, and it, rolled, it got rolling from there. Yeah, it's funny. So um, my whole life, man, I've always known that I wanted to be involved with basketball in some capacity, uh, whether it was playing, coaching, commentating, scouting. Like, I, I just didn't, I didn't care. Uh, my whole goal was to be around the game that I love meet people through the game and most importantly help people through the game of basketball so once i got out of college uh, i was playing in the, a pro-am basketball league which was a, a league for adults that had you know some high school kids like elite high school kids played current college guys former college guys overseas guys uh, we occasionally even had like some nba guys come through and play with us so i saw this guy who was there every week and he was filming and recording all the games so i looked into it uh, his name is his YouTube channel is called Third Coast Hoops. So he had, you know, built a lot of cred credibility and a reputation in Ohio uh, by recording high school basketball games, specifically in the Cleveland area. So, you know, I went to his website and I saw just like a bunch of videos, but I didn't see like any writing or any recaps or like top performers, things like that. So I reached out to him and said, hey, man, like I just got done with college. I'm an English major. 
you know, I love basketball. I'd love to, you know, figure out a way to help you out in some capacity. So me and him together, I, I believe it was 2015 was my first year. We, I mind you, I'm driving from Canton to Cleveland. For, for those of you who aren't familiar with Ohio, it was about an hour drive there and back. So I'm driving an hour every Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, going to different games. He's filming. I'm doing the writing. Together, we were putting out a lot of content and a lot of information. Uh, and because of that, a lot of college coaches, you know, began to follow me on Twitter and reach out to me. Hey, what do you think about this kid? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on these two guys? And I'm just giving them all this information out for free. I'm young. I'm excited. I'm like, you know, hey, I'm doing what I said I wanted to do, right? While I'm not getting paid for it, Steve, who's the owner of Third Coast Hoops, wasn't getting paid much at the time either. Um, but I was able through him and by him opening that door for me and giving me just this young kid out of college a chance, I was able to build a lot of rapport with high school coaches and college coaches. And that led me to starting NEO Spotlight. So I knew that there were guys who were high school scouts and worked for colleges, but I wasn't quite sure of the process or what that all entailed or how you had to go about doing it. Uh, so, yeah, I just took a chance and, and bet on myself. And, you know, here I am, you know, eight, nine years later, I work with over 75 schools across the country and I get paid to, to watch basketball and, and do exactly what I said I wanted to do. So it's, uh, yeah, very fortunate. Carved your own path and are living the dream right now as well. Even before betting was legal in Ohio, you bet on yourself and made the most of it. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's so cool. Now, you mentioned the scouting, the evaluation, that sort of thing. So I just kind of want to note as what kind of goes into that as well, too, because you are one person as far as I know, and you can't be seven people at seven places at once. So Mark. what kind of goes into the scouting, the evaluations when you watch them? Like, do you ever worry maybe just catch somebody on a hot night where they score 50, then the rest of their time they're scoring eight or nine? Or what kind of goes into those evaluations and scoutings when you're watching so that's a great question. Uh, there are a lot of guys who refer to themselves as like national scouts, guys who travel to different events across the country and just kind of watch all the top players. And as cool as I think that is, I think it is almost virtually impossible uh, to consider yourself a national scout just because you're spreading yourself so far thin. Uh, so what I do during the high school season is I cover Ohio. So I cover Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Dayton, uh, everywhere in between from November to March. And then April, June, July, I travel. I might go watch some Indiana teams, uh, you know, Michigan teams and things like that. But I, I feel like when you – my goal, my, my whole goal and always was, was to know Ohio inside out better than anybody else. So the, I, the reason why I say that is to answer your question, I have a rule of thumb where I like to, if possible, watch a kid three times. I want to see a good game. I want to see a bad game. And I want to see an average game. And between those three evaluations, whether they be in high school, AAU, summer ball, a combination of the three, I think that gives you a pretty genuine, pretty good idea of where a kid is at. Um, but yeah, that's always how, that's how I do. It. I want to see a kid three times, and and it's important to see kids in multiple settings because high school and AAU are two completely different evaluations, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, with AAU, they're playing with more talented kids uh, against more, I guess, college size, college level athleticism. Uh, when I'm watching an AAU game, like a high level AAU game. There's the 10 guys on the floor are all going to play college basketball at some level. So when you're surrounded by good players, you get an idea of what your natural role is. Because not everybody's going to be the guy, not, you know, when the shot clock's running down or, you know, not everybody's going to be that guy averaging 18, 20 points a game. So when you're surrounded by a bunch of other dudes, you quickly find out who you are and what you can do. Uh, so I look at AAU evaluations in terms of, What's a guy's role, right? Can he play with other good players? And then high school, it allows you to see a kid more so with like a magnifying glass, right? With his high school team, he's going to have the ball a little bit more. He's going to more, more times than not be the best player. You get to, to really see how coachable a kid is, uh, how they interact with their teammates. Can they lead? Uh, how they respond when things aren't going their way? So 
to me, I, I think the perfect blend is to see kids in multiple settings. And what also helps me too, is I watch these kids from a young age. A lot of the top prospects get identified between their freshman and sophomore year. Uh, more times than not, the top kids as freshmen and sophomores typically end up being, you know, still towards the top or at the top by the time of juniors and seniors. So I get a chance to see how much a kid has grown throughout the course of his high school career. I get to see what kind of trajectory he's on, how much his body has changed. And that's another reason why I like to just narrow in and know my state inside out better than anybody else versus, you know, trying to spread myself to three, four different states. You kind of miss some of those little nuances and relationships and insider information that you get by really focusing on your coverage area. 100% as well. That's so cool. Getting the, You get to see basically from one to 100, you get to see them all the way through. But that I kind of want to circle back to the AAU thing you mentioned as well, too. Some players, like everyone comes in there and is that, dude, you're already the big fish. But then you're surrounded by big fish and everyone kind of falls into, for lack of better terms, where they would be at a college level. When when they're in that situation, how often do you see guys that come in? It's like, oh, this is top five prospect in the state. But then in AAU, they end up kind of falling into almost, I don't say role player because that sounds rude, but you know what I mean? Like they kind of have, maybe have trouble falling into that role because they're so used to being it and maybe it affects them playing at the next level. Like a big name guy ends up going to a smaller school because they see when he's surrounded by dudes, he doesn't quite fit in necessarily. Yeah, that happens all the time, especially here in Ohio. Uh, Ohio, we're more so like a low major to mid-major state in terms of like the talent we have. At football, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to name 10 better states in the country than Ohio as far as football goes. Um, you know, Ohio, I believe, is the, like the seventh most populated state in the country. But we push and we tend to steer our, our top athletes towards football. And as a result of that, basketball takes somewhat of a hit. Whereas, you know, I'd say on average we get maybe three to five kids per grade that are legitimate high major players. So the majority of our guys are mid-major or low-major guys or they're role players at that level. And, and sometimes when you watch just Ohio and only Ohio, you kind of put yourself in a bubble. You don't get to see what else is out there. So thankfully, when you go to AAU every year, you know, AAU takes place in April, usually about the first half of May. It takes a break in June and then comes back in July. So it's about two and a half to three months. But it gives you that perspective of where exactly our, our guys are in terms of talent and how we stack up versus the rest of the country. But, yeah, there are quite a few states that, you know, I would say absolutely trump us in terms of talent. Um, but the brand of basketball that we play in Ohio uh, is almost second to none. A lot of the times during the high school season, you get some of these teams from Florida or North Carolina or Georgia come up here. And mind you, I mean, they have a lot of talent physically. They're just long and athletic and strong. Um, sometimes it looks like a varsity team versus a JV team. But we play such a good brand of basketball that a lot of other states aren't accustomed to seeing that we're able to win a lot of games that on paper we really have no business winning. Yeah, absolutely. That I kind of want to also add on to that because that, that was a very interesting point you brought up too. How often do you see players maybe that are – because they play the good brand, brand of basketball in those situations, a coach will see that, be like, oh, okay, he may not be six seven and run a four three and be dunking with his elbows, but we see how he moves, plays defense, and that sort of thing too. How many times do you see maybe some players almost get upscouted, I guess, if you will? Like they almost get higher offers than you would initially think just because of the way they play, because the coach is like, all right, I don't have to teach him to play basketball here. He knows how to play. Absolutely. That's a that's a very undervalued aspect of scouting and evaluating young talent is I take into account how has this kid been coached, right? Because nine times out of 10, when a high school kid goes to the collegiate level, physically, you're going to be behind the curve, right? Those guys are going to be bigger than you, stronger than you, especially with the NCAA adding that fifth year uh, because of COVID, you know, those guys are starting to phase out. I believe this is the last year. Current seniors are the last guys in college to get that fifth year. But more times than not, you're coming into college physically behind the curve. You can't also be coming into college mentally behind the curve as well. Uh, so 
when I was young and first starting out, you know, obviously you get excited by, you know, the crossovers and the dunks and, you know, how athletic a guy is, right? That's what, you know, a lot of the highlight tapes and Instagram and YouTube videos promote and they push, right? So a lot of casual people or, uh, you know, I guess people who are outside of the realm of scouting and evaluating, we get caught up in that, right? But the longer you do it, the more you appreciate just guys who know how to play. And very, very rarely, like, do I find kids that genuinely have just a natural feel and a basketball IQ, and they understand when to dribble, when to pass, when to shoot. Uh, and I think that's – I was having this conversation uh, with a few people the other day. Um, I saw a percentage on Twitter. It said, like, 30% of the league right in the NBA right now is – uh, you know, Europe, you know, European players or overseas guys, and they expect in about 10 to 15 years that that number is going to be closer to 15, uh, 50%. And I think that's a result of just simply guys in the United States not knowing how to play basketball. So for me, that's something I, I extremely value is one first thing I look for is does he play hard? Because it, as crazy as it sounds, is having a high motor. And a kid who competes and values every possession, that's that's become a skill because it's hard to find kids who just flat out compete and are tough. So one, does he play hard? Two, does he know how to play? And a big thing that I personally look for and I put a lot of value in is what else does this kid do besides score the basketball? How does he impact the game when the ball is not going through the hoop? So that's extremely important, just simply knowing how to play basketball. I can't remember who said the quote a couple – I think it was a few months ago. Someone's like 30% of the NBA doesn't even like basketball. They're just tall and can run or something like that too, and that's kind of how you get there is you don't – you basically grew up watching the and one mixtapes, and suddenly you realize you could do that and it gets you that far. But the kids who know how to play, like you mentioned, they're the ones who end up winning championships and going far or getting college paid for even if they don't make it to the next level. So that's – Really good to hear people talk about that because I'm a sucker for a well-set pick. So, or a well-set pick or a good quality roller, good spacing. So that that's awesome to hear that. Hey, you, you'd be shocked at, at just how many kids that don't even know how to, to set a proper ball screen. I can I can only imagine too, like the flailing knees and the flailing elbows, unable to set. Like, right. you know, guards that don't play with pace, right? They don't allow the big to get set, so then it becomes a moving screen. Um, it's a it's a very simple game that we've somehow made a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Exactly. It's turned, it's turned additional, it's turned simple addition into rocket science when it could really be solved with two plus two. It's, it's funny how that is, but Absolutely. I want to circle too. I do see that you do some like seminars and sit downs with coaches and teams too. So tell me a little bit about what goes into those. Like what are the, what do those usually entail? Uh, so during uh, COVID, right. Obviously that was a weird time for, for everybody. Uh, one thing that I, I found the most interesting about the pandemic was regardless of what field of work you were in, where you were at in life, how much money you had, how much money you didn't have, once COVID hit, we were all in the same spot, right? And we were all trying to figure it out, not sure where things were going. So during this time, there were a lot of things going on and transpiring with the NCAA. So for example, uh, Kids who graduated in graduated high school in 2020 and went on to college, they all got a free year of college. So anybody that was in college during that, I believe it was the 2019-2020 college season, uh, they all four of those grades, right, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, got a free year, right, got an additional year. So if you were a senior, let's say, at Ohio State at that time, you could come back as a fifth year and still be a senior. Uh, because a lot of conferences said, hey, we're not playing. Some conferences opted to play anyway. So a lot of people were confused. Hey, how is this going to affect high school players in recruitment? And then you throw in the NCAA transfer portal, right, in the trickle-down effect that that has had. So there were it, it took some adjustment from me to figure out exactly, okay, how valuable am I right now is a, is a scouting service when a lot of coaches are, you know, kind of transitioning to the transfer portal. So it took some time for me to figure out where things were at. So, and this is something I do on a, a daily basis. You know, I talk to 
dozens of college coaches throughout the week. So if I was playing catch up, I, I couldn't imagine where a lot of these student athletes and parents were at. Uh, so because of that, I started doing recruiting seminars across Ohio where I travel to high schools and I speak with parents, student athletes, coaching staffs, and just kind of give them an idea of the current recruiting landscape, where things are headed, what they can do to best prepare themselves and put themselves in the, the best situation in order to be recruited at the next level. So. Yeah, awesome. That's a, which I, I have to ask, it's probably unlikely, but I'm curious. Have you ever had a coach or a player basically try and talk back to you, get snippy with you, or like go a la cruise from Coach Carter and just try, try and snap back or anything like that? Have you ever had anyone try and get lippy or anything like that with you? No. Um, very like, all right, I'm trying to think of how to say this. So <laughs> I always tell people not to ask questions that you're not prepared for to hear the answer. Right. Because if you ask me something, the only thing I is TJ Petros know, know how to do is give you my honest opinion. It might be what you want to hear. It might not be what you want to hear. But at least you're, you're going to know that I gave you my honest to God opinion. So sometimes when people ask me, hey, you know, whether it's a high school coach, hey, what do you think about my kid? Or a parent says, hey, you know, what level, you know, do you think my kid is? Then I. You know, sometimes there's some pushback. Um, someone told me one time, and this always resonated with me, that high school coaches think their players are one level better than they are, and their dads think they're two levels better than what they are. So, so naturally, you know, people have these very high expectations of where they think their kid can play. Um, so, yeah, there's a little pushback there. Um, but I try to keep a lot of my opinions as far as that goes private uh, and with the college coaches that I work for. I've learned the hard way that uh, giving those type of assessments and evaluations to high school coaches or parents, uh, it tends to not go well uh, just because I just don't think they're, I think their expect where their expectations are and where reality is are a country mile apart. Every single time. And then the athletes on top of that. So even when I was a high school athlete and was an okay one, I thought I was I thought I was going D one when that was definitely not the case. And no one was gonna tell me otherwise. So I can only I can only imagine it's the parent on top of it. So yeah, and and, and social media has had such a, a huge impact on the world of high school basketball. Um and it has forced the the college coaches to adjust as well. Um so do you remember when kids were in high school and you know you would get letters in the mail? whether it was from like Ohio State or Dayton or Akron or whoever it was, right? And we all knew deep down those letters didn't mean a whole lot, but they were still pretty cool to get, right? You know, like, hey, my buddy's probably not going to end up at Ohio State, but the fact that, you know, they sent him this letter when he was a freshman or a sophomore is pretty cool. So scholarship offers have almost become like the new letters. You see a lot of kids get offered as freshmen, sophomores and majority of the time those offers aren't even real um they're college coaches who are trying to appease aau coaches or you know hey like give you an example there's a kid who who got an offer recently and when i reached out to the college coach uh you know he told me hey i've never even seen the kid play so the only reason i offered him you know my my buddy is the the head coach at that high school so I wanted to offer his guy and just kind of do him a solid. So what happens is you see people getting these parents and kids see their peers getting offers, right? Scholarship offers on Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. And then it becomes a, a measuring stick. And everyone is just kind of chasing after this attention and this validation. And majority of the time, it's just not even genuine. So yeah, social media has, it's had more of a negative impact than positive impact, I would say, on just not only our society in general, but just the way things move and operate uh, with, within what I do. Absolutely. I think I still have one or two of those letters from when I was a kid, too. It's like, I'm definitely not going. You just saw me like one of the summer camps and just threw that at me. But I, st I still I still like that letter, even though I knew it was kind of empty. I, if it's an actual scholarship and that would have happened, I would have I would have pouted for a very long time. So I can't even imagine what it's Yeah, happened. absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to see where things are going, man, and just 
quite frankly, you know, basketball culture, especially high school basketball in the United States is just not in a great place right now. Uh, I think it's going to take a, a hard reset and just a, a drastic change of the way we do things at the youth level to, to get things back on track and where they need to be. Absolutely. And you mentioned social media and a drastic change. So that's a good segue into our next topic. So a couple of weeks ago, me and my co-host talked to the founder of the Players NIL. And he, when he, we were talking with him, he mentioned how NIL is actually really starting at the high school level for a lot of these kids, too. Not necessarily the pay-to-play ones, but the ones who maybe talk with like a local business and then post on social media, that sort of thing, too. Is that something that's, that you've kind of encountered when speaking with athletes, when talking with scouting? Or is that, how has that kind of changed since you started to where we're at now? So here in Ohio, um, student athletes are not um, prohibited to receive NIL uh, in Ohio. I believe Pennsylvania, uh, they are. There are a few bordering states where it is allowed, but currently in Ohio, uh, it is not. Um, but I would say the kids who are really benefiting from NIL at the high school level are like the one percenters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not gotten to a point, I'm not sure it will, where you see the majority of kids benefiting from that. Um, and it's it's interesting. I, I think the whole NIL conversation, it was like, it's like Pandora's box. To me, it was like, once you opened it, there's really no going back. It's the wild, wild west now. Oh, it's, it's insane. And you see a lot of these schools, you know, giving out these big bags of money to kids or, you know, promising. Uh, I just heard a story uh, about a high major kid uh, in the SEC, who plays basketball, who was promised, I believe, like four hundred thousand dollars to transfer there, and he's only received like one hundred and fifty thousand of it. And you know that kid's already used his one-time transfer, so it's not like he can leave again. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the the clock is, is running running out uh, on NIL. I'm just not sure what the ROI is to you know, these schools and these alumni who are paying out these big sums of money and not winning conference championships and finishing the season with losing records. Uh, I think that the well for the vast majority is going to dry and it's going to dry sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I wish if they, if they need someone to donate that money, they can send it my way as well, but we'll circle back now. We'll circle back on track now. So for, when I covered sports for a little bit too, the one thing that was always interesting about high school sports is like championships and playoffs. They all go on at almost the exact same time, basically. Like there's there's like divi- there's division one, one a, two a, three a. All of them go on at the same time. When I was in Montana, they all went on at the same time, so we had to drive like a country mile just to go between them as well. How do you kind of balance going to all of those playoff games going on at the same time, often in different areas too? And that's a that's a good question. So. I believe the the tournament draw in Ohio is this Sunday. Uh, So by Sunday afternoon and evening, we should get all the the district tournaments. So in Ohio, it goes from the district tournament to the regional tournament and then to the state tournament. Uh, We have four divisions, division one through four. Division one is our biggest, right? Those are a lot of the big schools that have 1,500, 2,000 kids. Division four, you know, the the much smaller private or just kind of rural schools. Uh, so I've always tried to get the most bang for my buck. Uh, so it, it's weird. So Ohio is split up into different regions, right? You have the Northeast region, the Central region, the East, the Southeast, the Northwest, and the Southwest. So they all come together at the end, right, for the state tournament. But during the the district and the regional process, it's almost like each part of the state kind of does their own thing. So for example, in Columbus, let's so the central Ohio region, they do all of their division one district final games in one gym on the same day. So I can go down there and I can see, you know, the eight best division one teams in Columbus on a Saturday afternoon. Whereas in Northeast Ohio, it's the biggest region. So instead of there being four districts, there are six districts in Northeast Ohio Division One. And for whatever reason, we put all six of those districts, they played their district finals games in different places. So to me, it, it makes no sense, right, to stay up here and, you know, drive 45 minutes, you know, from game to game and maybe only see two or three games when I can go to Central Ohio and see four games and not have to move my butt 
and Sunday, drive to Cincinnati and see all of all of their Division One district final games on the same day as well. So I try to map it out in a way that allows me to see the most potential prospects as possible. But like you said, when the tournament's going on, especially for me, it it is it's tough because especially the kids who are seniors, if they lose, I don't see them again. Right. And it's not like they get to move on and go play AAU again. Some, you know, very few kids do. Like if you're an unsigned available senior, sometimes they'll play AAU in the spring. But more times than not, when a kid plays that last high school game as a senior, I don't see him play again until he's in college. So I try to prioritize, okay, who has a chance to lose? Who do I need to see? Can I see them before they possibly get eliminated from the tournament? Um, but yeah, it is difficult and, and it's a lot to juggle, but yeah, I try to, to map it out in a way that allows me to see the most games and maximize my time. It, the, the fun synopsis of the job is just get to watch basketball and that's it as a job, but there's a lot more that goes into it. The, the, the oh, behind the scenes is it's a conspiracy theory board in the background with seven different things. Oh, people have no idea. Just like the, the puzzle you have to put together in your head. Uh, so I cover the, I live in Cleveland, but I cover the whole state. So the, I guess the strategy I use is Monday through Thursday. I try to stick to Northeast Ohio, uh, unless there's like a really big game up here on a Friday night, then I'll stay. But I typically try to use Friday and Saturday and, and even Sundays as a way to travel to those other areas of the state and catch multiple games, you know, and then come back home. Uh, but yeah, it's a puzzle just trying to figure out, okay, which teams am I going to see here at this event? Which teams and, you know, do I have to to take a Tuesday night out of my schedule and go see? Otherwise, I might not see him again. Uh, it's a it, it's a lot of it requires a lot of organization, a lot of communication and a lot of relationship building behind the scenes. It's it's certainly more than, you know, just going to games and watching basketball, you know, none of it, if I'm being honest, feels like work. You know, I, I get paid to, to talk basketball. I, I don't know if it gets much better than that. Exactly. There's always a light. Even at the, on the rainiest days, there's that light at the end of the tunnel. That's all, there's always the positive, too. That's awesome. Too. Absolutely. Speaking of basketball, too, and speaking of driving, I do see you have a podcast, your own Drive to Dayton podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so the Drive to Dayton podcast is a show that me, Kirk Stubbs, and Mike Roth all started uh, about midway through last year. So the, the Ohio State tournament got moved from Columbus to Dayton. Uh, so we wanted to just kind of do a show that, that led up to the state tournament. So kind of like a weekly show to, to keep fans and just all the other basketball junkies like us informed on, you know, which teams were playing well at what times and, you know, which kids have been standing out. What are the top games of the, you know, of the week that they should go watch? So for what started, I, I thought it was just going to be a temporary thing. I'm thinking, hey, we'll just do this for a few shows, you know, lead up to the tournament, and then, you know, we'll be done. Um, but we're, you know, we don't have a, a huge fan base, I wouldn't say. Um, but we have a core probably two to 300 people that listen to us every week. And we were getting bombarded, dude. Like, right before the season started, they were like, hey, are you guys doing the show again? Like, when are you guys starting the show? So then we all got together and was like, hey, man, let's just let's keep the ball rolling. Um, and it's fun. We just hop on a Zoom call uh, Monday, every, every Monday and we just shoot the crap, man, for 90 minutes about, you know, what we saw that week and where we're going next and who's playing well. And it, it's fun. It's uh, it also makes me feel a little more normal uh, to see, you know, to talk with two guys who are equally as obsessed with Ohio basketball as I am. Uh, so it definitely keeps me. From, from going crazy more times than not. Absolutely. That's so cool. That's awesome. And now we'll get into some of the more fun things as well, too. You mentioned you're driving all over the state for work as well, too. And when I moved to Ohio and Cleveland, the first thing I noticed was, wow, the food here is actually surprisingly good. Like, I was surprised at how diversified the food was. There's a lot of really good options here. Tell me a little about some of your food adventures driving all over Ohio as well, too. Some of the good good places you've gone, things that sort of, that sort of thing. Yeah, so that's a... Um... The, the cool thing about that, obviously, I've always I've been a food guy. Like, I've always loved to eat. Um, but I wouldn't say I had, like, a, a passion for food or someone who was really willing to, you know, step out of the box and try different things all the time. 
But when you're traveling, right, you're in Toledo this weekend or Columbus this weekend, right, you don't have your your same go-to spots that you do when you're at home. So, you know, I start reaching out to high school coaches and other media guys. I'm like, hey, man, where should I go eat? And, you know, I started posting different places on, you know, Twitter and Instagram, uh, specifically small businesses I like to try and support, uh, you know, help build awareness. Um, but yeah, it, it's fun, man. You start to, you know, build a list in your phone. I have probably like two or 300 different places in Ohio. Um, and I've quickly kind of become like the food guy. Uh, so like when college coaches are in town or they're going to a game in Columbus, they're like, hey, man, I'm at this high school. Where should I go eat around here? Uh, so that's been a cool part of it too, man. It's just kind of expanding my palate, stepping out of my comfort zone, uh, and all, and just being able to just kind of help other people find new places that they love. I think that's like one of the coolest things is it's like similar to music, right? You send a buddy an album or a song that you like, and a few days later they're like, "Man, I love this album," or "Man, I love this song." You know, thanks for putting me onto it. And to me, I get that same feeling with restaurants. You know, when I tell people about places and they go check it out and, you know, they get back to me that they loved it or, you know, they send me a picture of it. So to me, it's just all about building relationships, you know, building relationships through basketball, building relationships through food. And that's just the best part of it, man. You, you get into it because you love basketball. And I you quickly realize that you love the people in basketball just as much as you love actually watching the sport. So. Yeah, the, the restaurants and the food tours and stuff like that is it was kind of like a bonus. It, it just kind of happened organically. It wasn't something that I really planned for, but it, it, it's fun. Uh, I, I like when people reach out to me for, for food recommendations here. So. Absolutely. That's so cool. It's always it's always about the people. I think every person that we've interviewed on the cast, every, every way, one way or the other, always comes back to the people you're around is always a big thing. As always well. does. Yeah. The activity may be fun, but it's made great by the people you're around too. Like it could be a great activity, but if you're surrounded by heathens and hooligans, it's not quite the same. So, I got I have one I have one quick one for the the ones in Northeast Ohio get will understand this one. Barrio, good, bad, awful. Oh man, so decent. I'll accept. Well, we'll throw in decent there, like Taco Bell level two. Um. Also, by the way, guys, no Taco Bell slander will be allowed. Um, <laughs> Taco Bell, right, to me is like, a, obviously it's not a daily, weekly thing, but like once a month or like 1230 at night, you're tired, you're on your way home, you see that you see that bell lit up on the side of the road. That's a good feeling to me, man. Like you can, it's dependable. You know it's going to be open. You eat it right before you go to sleep. So that way you don't got to deal with the repercussions of it until you wake up. But Barrio, Barrio is good. I mean, it's not, it's not great. I think it, I will say it drives me nuts when people come up here and they say, Oh, someone recommended that I go to Barrio. And I'm just like, my God, man, there are so many just like dive bars or taco trucks or hole in the wall spots where you're just going to get just so much better food and at a better price more times than not. Um, but Barrio is good. I definitely would say uh, slightly overhyped, uh, but not bad. I mean, Barrio to me is almost more like a like a social thing. Yeah. So it's nice to, you know, go there after a Cavs game or a Browns game or something and just, you know, kind of mingle. But, yeah, if I'm recommending somebody to go get some tacos, I am 1,000% not sending them to Barrio. That's not my first choice. Same same scenario as well too. It's a place that mostly locals should have because it's just, it's not somewhere that a visitor should have that sort of thing as well too. Absolutely, it's plenty good, plenty fine, but like that, there's a list to get through first. Like we'll start with La Plaza and work our way back from there. Oh my God, La Plaza is phenomenal. Uh, I just recently moved to Lakewood. Uh, there's a spot right down the road for me called Cilantro. High level. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to tell you guys how many times I've DoorDash from there. Um, but yeah, it's just a, such a long list, like you mentioned, of places that you must go before you dare step foot into Barrio. Exactly, it's like in and out in California a little bit, just a little bit, a little bit less, uh, a little bit overhyped as well too. But I digress. California, don't hate me. I, I live there. I understand. But we, I just want to check in, see if there's anything else you wanted to touch base on, or anything we wanted to circle or mention really quickly that we might not have talked about already. No, I, I appreciate you having me on, DJ. Um, is definitely nice to to kind of 
shed somewhat of a light onto the world of high school basketball scouting. Um, you know, obviously we weren't able to go into too much, you know, detail and, you know, some of the nuances. Um, but it's cool to give people just kind of an inside look, uh, so to speak, in, into what I do and what all it entails. And there are people who probably aren't even familiar with scouting services or didn't know that they exist or, or how they work. Uh, so it's definitely always cool to, to bring awareness and, you know, maybe you spark someone up who, you know, is going to games on Tuesday and Friday nights just because they love it. And maybe it turns into a, a hobby or, you know, a side hustle for them as well. So I think that's the cool thing is just watching like other media platforms come in and, and slowly build themselves up as well. So, yeah, absolutely. It's all it's a if you start it up yourself is almost better than taking the traditional path these days as well. And it's shown across the way as well. And that's not even a shot at traditional ways. It's just, there's more options for more people this way too. So before we let you out here, we'll go and give you a chance, go and let everyone know where to find you, both the podcast and any spotlight. So you can find uh any spotlight on Twitter at N E O underscore spotlight uh, for all your updates on Ohio high school basketball. You can follow the drive to Dayton podcast on YouTube. Um, Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your weekly shows. Uh, I appreciate you guys for tuning in and, and watching. And if you have any questions or anything, feel free to reach out. My DMs are open. I uh, may not get back may not get back to you right away, but I will do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. So, absolutely, and thank you so much, TJ. We greatly appreciate the time as well, too. And good best of luck with the upcoming season as well, too. And hopefully the drives are not too hectic or anything like that. And hopefully the weather cooperates. Yeah, I think we're we're past the brunt of it. Um, it's it was like 50 degrees today by the time uh, I went outside, so can't be too mad about that. I think we're we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in Northeast Ohio. So, knocking on wood that it stays that same way as well too. Well, thank you so much. We do greatly appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Good luck and thanks for having me. Well. That was that. That was absolutely awesome. It was great to get to hear from them. We I learned a lot about college basketball scouting, everything like that. It was a pleasure. And we once again thank TJ a whole bunch for joining us and talking a little bit about what he does and basketball scouting as a whole. I'm muted. I'm my bad. I was keeping myself from from yelling when he said he would. He's door dad. He's embarrassed by how many times he, he uh, has eaten cilantro. Don't worry. I get it. I get the addiction. I'm glad I live on the east side now because I'm saving a little bit of money by not going there. Unfortunately, there are some some restaurants here that I'm I, I will say I'm probably spending more money on DoorDash for now. Um, but no, I, I you know absolutely love that. Uh, there's a lot that he said here that are just you know important things. Um, I think we like just to talk about a couple of them. The importance of knowing the ability to go into a role for a player. That's one I think I'm glad you touched on that with him. I, I you know it's a great informational piece while every player is skilled this is something we've talked about at the nba level when we talk nba all the time yes they are talented yes they are fantastic yes they can score 20 points at any given time but it's a special player to be able to step back and be the facilitator to be the defensive stalwart to be you know patrick beverly gets a lot of hate but let's just look at his game the dude is scoring 40 points in high school scoring 30 points in, in in college and not really every game i'm just you know, that was his, his, his career. Not so far from embellishment, honestly. Like, yeah. he, 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 he was a bucket in those games. Gets the pros. What is he now? He's a 12 to 15 point a game guy. But most importantly, he's matching up against the number one guard on the other side. That's an important aspect. And, you know, the high IQ level of basketball that's taught in Ohio um, on the men's side is great. It's actually something my me and one of my coworkers were discussing where, you know, this idea of resetting the entire basketball arena. And we've talked about this before, too. You know, it's especially on the men's side, it feels like a lot of players are enamored with the highlights and not with just playing the game the right way. And that's why you're seeing so. I think the Lamella Ball situation is a perfect, the Ball brothers in general was a perfect example of this. Their level of defense was all right, Lamella, you go stand at the inbound line when they're inbounding the ball and then walk yourself back on defense. We're going to, we're going to, you know, a press, but we're not really going to press because you're just going to stand there and then just try to cherry pick on your way back. Um, you don't see as much now, but you still don't see the level of technicality that you should in, in the rest of the game. So, you know, I was glad he touched on that as well because that's an important thing to realize. Just the ability that we need like, just to be able to be a role player, but also the concept that maybe we need to instruct players better at a younger level. 
I think that's important. We're um, you know, always talking about that. And even in the NBA, they've talked about LeBron talked about this on the his barbershop show. Uh, it was that there are maybe 20% of guys in the league that's that don't I mean. know how to play basketball at the end of the day. They just they're out there, they're athletic, they can go run and dunk and they can jump high. But in the reality of things, they don't know the idea of a motion offense. They don't know the concepts that are in, in basketball. They don't know the importance of keeping triangles on off, uh, you know, in a triangle offense. If you ask them what Phil Jackson was known for, I don't know, coaching coaching Kobe and, and MJ, not the triangle offense. You know, that would never be a concept. Why, you ask them about George Carl. They would not under, know why, why George Carl is an important coach. So, you know, that's all part of everything. I, you know, I loved what he had to say. Honestly, I can't wait to, to get him back on because I know we're going to at some point in time, um, maybe after the high school basketball season wraps up when he has this, what, two months of two months two of break, minutes, basically? Two, two, minutes, two minutes, something like that. But I, I do want to kind of circle back to what you said, too. There's a lot of people that know what they're doing, but it's a why are they doing. I think that's where sometimes it disconnects. It's like, all right, I know I'm setting a pick on this play, but why are you setting that pick? Yeah. What is the what's the point of it? Like that sort of thing. And I think that was awesome to hear him touch on as well, too. Like, there's a there's a lot with basketball scouting that goes into it. And that's still so awesome that he was able to turn it into his own business as well, too. So if you haven't already, go check him out. Go check out his podcast. Go check out NEO Spotlight, especially if you're in Ohio. Like, if you're in Ohio, there is absolutely no reason to at least go to go check it out as well, too. We do appreciate him stopping by, of course, especially on the Super Bowl week, because I know a lot of you have seen Super Bowl stuff left and right, so we're glad to have a little bit of a change of pace to go with it as well, too. But once again, we do appreciate you all for joining us here as well. Be sure to check out. Our sponsor, Outlier, go to outlier.bet backslash Sports. Get yourself a free seven-day trial to bet smarter, not harder. Get a look at some of the different analytics trends. To see if you can make some winning bets. You don't want to just follow ours this week as well, too. So thank you all for joining us, and we will see you all again next time. And don't forget, Taco Bell is the GOAT. Well, hold on. <laughs>